Es la maestra argentina la que está sola y espera, vive surciendo penurias y consolando miserias, vive surciendo penurias y consolando miserias. Es la que enseña a mis hijos a venerar la bandera de este país generoso del corazón para afuera de este país generoso del corazón para afuera
song to express our situation. This is Labor and Love Radio. Looking right now for Leslie Can. Leslie Cannon and Eddie Harris. That is hanging up the goddamn nation Looks like we always end up in a rut Everybody now trying to make it real compared to what Come on, baby children are killing frogs, poor dumb rednecks rolling logs, tired old ladies kissing dogs, I hate the human lover that's sticking mud, 
says what it's for. Nobody gives us a rhyme or reason. Half of one doubt, they call it treason. We're chicken feathers all the way out one day. Sunday sleeping not trying to duck the wrath of God. Preachers filling us with fright. They all trying to teach us what they think is right. They really got to be some kind of nut. I can't use it. I'm trying to make it real compared to what And where's that honey? Where's my God and where's my money? Unreal values, a crass distortion. Unwed mothers need abortion. Kind of brings to my old young King Tut.
And that, of course, was Eddie Harris, great Eddie Harris, electronic saxophone man, um, playing with Les McCann in 1969 at the Montreux Jazz Festival in Switzerland. This is Labor and Love Radio, where we tell you how it is. We tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Well, what have we got today? We've got uh, Donald Trump pardoning Susan B. Anthony. We got a feature here on the suffragettes, if I can make it work. Even if I can't, we'll figure something out. We have labor notes. We have radio labor, specifically about the Coca-Cola Corporation and how it comports itself outside of this country. We got a visit from a local musician, number one in our series of Local artist today, Brother Charlie Morgan from Marin County will be calling in and we'll discuss some of his work. So, yeah, that was Les McCann. Les McCann. And, um,
who voted for statehood. Okay. One second. Let's see who we got. they needed more citizens to vote for statehood so that was kind of the deal there it's a hundred years since women got the right to vote listen to it The suffragettes were a group of women who were campaigning for the vote. The campaign had been going on for a while, but it became much... Yes. I couldn't hear you at all. Okay. That's why I call. I'll call you back in 10 minutes. More energetic and more militant period. So we're talking about roughly the 1890s up to uh, the end of the First World War. Some of the main characters you may have heard of are uh, the Pankhursts, so Emmeline, who is known as Mrs. Pankhurst, and her daughters Sylvia and Christabel. There was also Flora Drummond, who we see in the films, who was known as the General. She dressed in a uniform and was rather, you know, forthright. The way the campaign of the suffragettes was organised, they would go out and make more noise. This is what Emmeline Pankhurst had asked them to do. This is the strategy. So anywhere where three or more people were gathered together, somebody would pop up and go, votes for women. As soon as cinema begins to happen, and we have to remember that by this time, maybe 20 million people are going to the cinema every week. Um, this became a very good way of being visible. The same as getting into newspaper photographs or pictures, illustrations. Getting in front of the cameras was really a key thing. So the suffragettes would invite the newsreel cameramen, who might not otherwise be sympathetic, and they would invite them to occupy the best positions, say, at a big demonstration, so that they were seen in a good light. So you would get um, a lovely sweeping shot of 
were huge numbers of people attending a demonstration, so you could see that this was a very popularly supported thing. The favourite one of mine is from a film called Mass Meeting of Suffragettes. There they are in Trafalgar Square, and they have this fantastic posters where they've gone and petitioned all over the country, and there is a poster from each of the towns. So it will say 3,976 men in Smethwick say they support votes for women. And this is a very strong message because it means that this is not a battle of the sexes. This is about power and Parliament not giving the vote to ordinary people. There's one incident that's captured on camera, really unusual, very unusual to capture a real event in front of the cameras at this time. Uh, a tragic event, which is Emily Davison um, being hit by a horse on Derby Day in 1913. The reason she was there was the strategy of the suffragettes again to be seen in front of the camera. So she stood on a corner knowing the cameras were there and she went out and stood in front of the horses as they came round the bend. And we see this in the film. She's struck, we see this happen. But because she doesn't die until three days after this event, the neutral cameramen think, oh, it's just some sort of accident. Uh, they barely see it and they just carry on filming the event but then this becomes hugely important. She dies, it's news everywhere, and it is shown again and again and again and again. It tells us nothing about whether or not she intended to commit suicide. We don't know, we may never know. There are two ways that suffragettes are shown in cinema. There's one kind of negative version and there's one positive version, and both of them appear in, in one film. It's a lovely film called Milling the Militants. You get the negative point, the kind of ridiculing of the suffragettes. They're always shown as these sort of big battle axes, you know, big hats, and they're all a bit kind of brutish, and they're ridiculed. So we get this larger lady, shall we say, um, and her, who's left her husband at home with the kids while she goes out campaigning for votes for women. And he's dreaming, this dream about getting his own back on his wife. And there's a fantastic scene where they're shown there's various punishments for having, you know, shouting out in front of sort of MPs and what have you, where they are forced into wearing trousers and they have to walk down the street in the sort of shame of having, wearing trousers. It's very funny. And then the sort of positive side is that, that actually he then wakes up when she arrives back and she throws a bucket of water in his face. So she wins in the end. You know, these, these are not victims. These are young, happening, feisty women who are getting on with their lives and doing what they want. The younger ones um, don't do what their parents tell them. So you get characters like the Tilly Girls. So they're in a series from about 1912 and they're a comedy duo they're always being told to behave themselves, and this they refuse to do. So as soon as the adults are not looking, they behave appallingly. They, you know, steal all the food and they invite, you know, young boys around and cause all sorts of mayhem. 
and later on they marry people for money and then leave them with the babies and go out and play golf. It's, it's excellent, really. They're a very cheery, um, feisty bunch. This is not a miserable story, it's a very positive story. So the war breaks out in 1914 and straight away uh, the suffragettes put the whole campaign on hold and that they mobilise, it says, their brains and bravery in support of the war effort. So they will organise hospitals at the front to treat the wounded, they work in munitions factories, they do all kinds of things. The one thing they do very cleverly with the films is to make sure their name is up there. So when you see this fantastic film of the Scottish Women's Hospitals, there is a sign up there that says that this is organised by the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies. They make sure that during the course of the war, although they're not campaigning in a kind of militant way, they're still there and look at how beautifully they're organising everything. And this is why they are responsible and this is why they deserve the vote when the war is over. In 1918, uh, all men are given the vote and a certain number of women. It's a large number, um, any women over 30 and that own some property get the vote and this is in fact probably most of the women in the population. And there is a great newsreel from this time that says, will there be women MPs? So not only have they got the vote, but suddenly there's the idea that they can stand for Parliament. And we see uh, Emily Pankhurst and Christabel and Flora Drummond and Miss Kenny standing outside where they're going in to, to have a big meeting. And so here is the speculation that they can now stand for Parliament. So the campaign has worked, it's a real advance. Okay, there was a uh, <clears throat> short history about how media helped or didn't help the suffragette movement in England. And next week we'll talk about the suffragette movement in the United States. Donald Trump pardoned Susan B. Anthony. What has he got to pardon her with? I find that amazing. Okay. Listen up for a minute. Take a short break. This is the Georgie and Johnny show. Georgie is George Bush, a rich guy who wants us to think he's a hard guy. So maybe he wants us to call him George Bush. And Johnny, well, Johnny is Johnny Ashcroft. He's kind of a weird dude who runs around covering up the breasts of statues, which really makes you wonder what kind of a relationship the guy had with his mother. 
you come on TV disguised as the president, don't you, Georgie Bush? You want us up against the wall from your constant push, don't you, Georgie Bush? Johnny Ashcroft, your general of attorneys, a general nuisance is he. He's in my computer, in my prison cell phone, listening to my lawyer and me. Johnny ran for governor in the show me state, wiretapping the voice in his head. But the voters showed him his hearing was gone because he lost to a man who was dead. You hide in the darkness with a wide angle lens and your microphone wires all a humming. And you know what we're doing as we live honest lives, whether we're going or eating or a coming. You got all the bugs bugged, all your liars are spying, and your rats are watching the deers. And you look so funny with your two million eyes and your homeland security ears. I got 20 connections on my telephones. My potatoes got both eyes and ears. And at home I got my George Orwell video. It watches me and it hears. Democracy is what you're maintaining. You lie to us on TV. But while we're watched and we're hunted and spied on and lied to, Georgie, you know we ain't free. When you're gone, they'll say he knew. Everyone but himself, you know it's true. But you ain't relaxing as long as I can't, cause Georgie, I'm watching you. Okay, that was uh, Charlie Morgan. Morning, Charlie. Good morning, Bill. You're getting like a double broadcast. It's either whatever is on is being delayed so the two of them are coming on. Oh. And kind of intermingling with each other, and it's kind of hard to understand anything. That's no good. Wait a minute. Let me see. How are you doing this morning, by the way? Oh, I'm doing okay. Avita called me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, nice. I don't see what's doubling up my sound. Good morning, Brother Bill. Good morning. You're, you're still getting a. You're still getting a double broadcast. Hmm. Wonder what that could be. Well, do you have two faders up? Two outgoing faders. Yeah, I got mine. How about that? Does that sound better? Yeah, um, there's a delay. Same thing, huh? Yeah, maybe it's me. I can't. I can't hear my own voice. Hmm. Well, I can hear you fine, but I don't hear any doubling. 
Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's me. Are you are you taping the show? I mean, I remember once I had your show on, and um, I had gotten on twice without knowing it. Uh, I see. Well, do you have headphones? Yeah. So you can't hear any doubling in your headphones, huh? No, I can't. Well, I don't understand. Maybe it's my computer. Um, maybe I had to just shut myself off. Uh, okay, go ahead, and then I'll try some things here, and then maybe call you back. Okay, I just shut myself off. I can still hear you. Okay, well, maybe that's what it was. Okay. All right, well, let's talk a little bit. Um, you're uh, number one in our list of uh, local artists. Ooh. And, and I just played your uh, your song about surveillance. Oh, Johnny Ashcroft, the guy who, he lost in a gubernatorial election to a guy who was dead. <laughs> That's pretty tough to do. Yeah. And like you said before, he ran around covering up the breasts of statues, <laughs> which makes you wonder <clears throat> what his relationship with his mother was. I guess he was obsessed. He couldn't stop looking at him, so he had to cover him up. Yeah, right. Anyway, um, yeah. tell the audience a little bit about yourself. You're a local artist. You live in Point Reyes Station, and you're a DJ. Yeah, I'm a, a, a radio has been significant because you and I had a show on KPFA for a while. That's true, and, huh? Um, <laughs> uh, also, um, for those of you, the, your listeners, you know about Station KPOO, a pretty progressive station. Uh, myself and a guy over here, a tech guy named Richard Dillman, were some of the original founders of KPOO, and it was always meant to be started and then handed over to people of color. Right. And they took it with a little grace, but they got it. Um, Currently, uh, technically, I'm a programmer on KWMR radio out here in West Marin, uh, except <clears throat> because of the pandemic, the programmers haven't been able to go into the booth to do our shows. There's only a couple of people that do that, and uh, we're supposed to be able to learn how to pre-record a show and uh, email it to the station, but that's something that has plum evaded me. I seem to lack the electronic aptitude to figure that out, but I'm still working on it. And uh, I'm proud to say I'm a founding member of KWMR also. We've been on the air for, or not on the air, but we've been either uh, streaming uh, on a computer or streaming and broadcasting for 20 years and uh, we have three uh, separate call numbers we have uh, 90.5 FM in Point Ray Station 89.9 in Bolinas and 92.3 in the San Geronimo Valley okay. uh, not to 
our know, sister station. Competing <laughs> our sister station, huh? Yeah, well, radio station uh, with Mutiny. I think Mutiny is a great station. I want to talk a little bit. I want to play a couple more songs from uh, your album. Okay. From Chasmo Now. And uh, let's see. I'm going to play this one about the, uh, the vegetables. All right. Here we go. That's the dog. This is Nobody the dog. loves me but my dog. Okay, we'll go and with she this. She says one. she's been barking up the wrong tree. And she says she's been barking up the wrong damn tree. She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. Whoa, she's gonna bury me. And no matter what I do, she talk all this smack at me. She says, you gotta fill up my bowl. Each and every night, you got to scratch them fleas away when they try to bite. You gotta take me out walking with them other dogs so I won't feel alone. And take me on down to that butcher shop so I can get down to the bone. Whoa! Nobody loves me but my doggy. And she says she's barking up the wrong damn tree. Lord have mercy. She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. Whoa, she's gonna bury me. And she never lets up. She keep talking her smack on me. She says, take away the Purina. I want a New York steak. You better tell me dry when I get wet so I won't have to shake. Put a mirror in my doghouse for when I want to preen. And you better chase them cats away in case I'm feeling mean because nobody loves me but my dog. Says she's barking up the wrong tree. What am I gonna do now? She's barking up the wrong bark. She's gonna take this old bone, Charles Morgan. She's gonna dig a hole with her sharp front paws. Whoa, she's gonna bury me. And this is the only way I can tell her how I feel.
She keeps it up, though. I'm here to tell you, Daddy. I ain't some mangy mutt. I want a diamond-studded collar for when I want to strut. My doghouse needs wallpaper. It's looking like a dump. And when I bark and wag my tail, you know I'd better see you jump. Whoa! Nobody loves me but my dog. Whoa! And she says she's barking up the wrong tree. Oh, no. She's going to take this old bone, Charles Morgan. Ain't no meat left on it. And you know she's going to bury me. Then she tried to finish me off. I've seen some other boy dogs out there who run it hard and fast. They've been checking out my wagon tail when I've been walking past. You know, you run out of curveballs, sucker. You better get yourself another pitch. And if I don't see some changes soon, you can get yourself another four-legged little bitch. Because uh, nobody loves me but my doggy. She says she's barking up the wrong tree. Whole forest of wrong trees. Where's she talking to me? She's going to take this old bone, Charles Morgan, down to the funky side of town where the corporate WTO gangsters dump their toxic waste, where nothing can live but broken dreams and rust and battery acid. She's going to bury me. Lord, have mercy. Whoa. Somebody help me. Charlie, are you there? Yeah, somebody help me. <laughs> hey, listen, I wanted to remind your listeners that you are on this album. I wrote a song about how Mom used to uh, uh, tell us before we went to bed that the angels were going to watch over us tonight. Yeah. Mama Lullaby. Yeah. Well, you wrote the chorus to that. And also, the last offering, number 11, Fort Laramie, 1878, was a poem that you wrote uh -huh. about Crazy Horse telling uh, the white soldiers to go and stuff themselves. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about the whole thing with um, the cavalry and the the Native Americans. Yeah. A lot, most of the people in the cavalry, especially Custer 7th Cavalry, were yeah. Irish. Right. And, and they were sort of oppressed, you know? Yeah, they were working guys from the East, you know, who'd been yeah. uh, drafted or... And here they were, you know, uh, taking up arms against uh, another 
bunch of oppressed people, the Native Americans. American history. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to play this one about um, Sweet California, a song which I've always loved. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I hope the, and, um, then hope I'd the like drought to ends pretty soon. Have you talk a little bit about it afterward? Yeah, sure. You're okay. the boss. Let me see if I can get this. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry New Zealand ferns are always green It rains more there than it should I looked to the cloud that was raining on me And said, go, you can do some good Clouds stop crying and wasting time And fly across the sky Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden, nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm and town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. Don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole. It's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, 
water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Okay, uh, Charlie, that's a yeah early take on the environmental movement. Uh, how yeah, did you come to write that way, song? What? Unfortunate the way history repeats itself. Yeah, and worse than ever, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was on the road, and uh, I was at a hostel, and I saw a magazine that showed one of the ranchers here standing in the middle of the Nicasio Reservoir without a drop of water around him. Normally, that would be in up over his head. He was a big guy, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's something weird. No matter how far afield people travel, uh, you still have a sense of where your home is. And, uh, right. you know, since 1973, Point Reyes area has been my home. And it makes you yearn in a different, special way when you're not at your home and there's something weird going on there. So, uh, anyway, that's songwriting's a bizarre thing because sometimes, well, you know, you're a writer and you've written uh, lyrics and whatnot. And, uh, sometimes you can, you know, a song comes to you and you write it in 20 minutes. Yeah. And uh, other times you'll have an idea for years and years and years. And finally it'll pop out. I still have ideas that for songs that I concocted, you know, 20 years ago, more than that. And yeah. I still haven't written them. But, uh, yeah, you know, but you can't jive your listeners. you you gotta you got to come with, you know, what's really coming down. Like any good plot, something has to matter. And, uh, you know, that song in particular is, I think, a pretty good example of that. Well, okay, what uh, what are you up to currently? Are you making music? Well, yeah, I've been actually uh, uh, writing uh, goofy songs, kind of novelty songs. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, I, I stole an idea from you and wrote a, a long poem without music about how toilet paper is our new currency. <laughs> That's, I t you, you were the one who told me that. Right. And uh, then I wrote another one about masks, about how, <clears throat> you know, those masks where the the holders hook around your ears. Yeah. And about how Vincent van Gogh couldn't have used one of those because <laughs> he only had one ear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh. Well, uh, let me know when you come out with something, okay? If you'd like to come on the show and sing one or two of them. Yeah. Um. I've got, You'd yeah, be I most welcome. Wrote a sarcastic song about what what's happened to yoga. Uh huh. It's called "Look at My Butt, Yogini." 
Right. Everything but anyway, you if you're <laughs> moving on in your show, I'll, I won't bore you with that one. Okay. Um, and thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks a lot, Brother Bill. You know, uh, you and I have been a traveling circus all our lives together. That's true. And uh, been able to just, at the drop of a hat, start creating. And uh, so one time for the sticks and the oompies. The sticks and the yeah. Here's another anyway, clip. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Brother Bill. It's, you know, it's been a dearth of time that I've been on any radio. Uh, so I really appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate Mutiny Radio, and I hope people will, uh, if they got a job still, will loosen up those uh, money bags and donate to Mutiny Radio. Yeah, we need. We certainly need that. I mean, that goes for everybody who's listening. We definitely yeah. need you. And so I enjoy your show, Labor and Love. Uh, you probably told the listeners that we were raised in a family that was pretty much pro-labor. Yes. So anyway, I won't take up your okay. time. Okay. But I'll be listening to the rest of the show. Okay, have a good afternoon. Talk you, to you later. You too, Brother Bill. Take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, let's get on now with our uh, show honoring suffragettes. We had to listen to um, something about the English suffrage movement and the leaders of that movement. Here we go. of this entire disenfranchisement of one half the people of this country, their social and religious degradation. Let's go. go back to the beginning of that. We missed the beginning. Women have been a vital part of social struggle in U.S. history, especially in the anti- In the formation of which she had no voice. He has made her, if married, in the eye of the law, civilly dead. He has taken from her all right and property, even to the wages she earns. He has endeavored in every way that he could to destroy her confidence in her own powers, to lessen her self-respect, and to make her willing to lead a dependent and abject life. In view of this entire disenfranchisement of one half the people of this country, their social and religious degradation, and because women do feel themselves aggrieved oppressed and fraudulently deprived of their most sacred rights, we insist that they have immediate admission to all the rights and privileges which belong to them as citizens of the United States. Women had long been denied the right to vote, even after helping to win voting rights for blacks with the passage of the 15th Amendment 
In November 1872, Susan B. Anthony was one of 14 women who defied the law to cast a ballot in the presidential election. Anthony was arrested for, quote, knowingly voting without having a lawful right to vote, unquote, and was found guilty. Has the prisoner anything to say why sentence shall not be pronounced? Yes, Your Honor, I have many things to say. Your denial of my citizens' right to vote is the denial of my right of consent as one of the governed, the denial of my right of representation as one of the taxed, the denial of my right to a trial by a jury of my peers as an offender against law. Therefore, the denial of my sacred right to life, liberty, property. The court cannot allow the prisoner to go on. But your honor will not deny me this one and only poor privilege of protest against this high-handed outrage upon my citizens' rights. The sentence of the court is that you pay a fine of $100 and the costs of the prosecution. May it please your honor. I will never pay a dollar of your unjust penalty. All the stock in trade I possess is a debt of $10,000 incurred by publishing my paper, The Revolution, the sole object of which was to educate all women to do precisely as I have done, rebel against your man-made, unjust, unconstitutional forms of law, which tax, fine, imprison, and hang women while denying them the right of representation in the government. And I will work on with might and main to pay every dollar of that honest debt, but not a penny shall go to this unjust claim. And I shall earnestly and persistently continue to urge all women to the practical recognition of the old revolutionary maxim, resistance to tyranny is obedience to God. Women were not just concerned with winning the right to vote. They were among the earliest organizers in the workplace. The women who worked in the textile mills of New England in the 1830s, some as young as 10 years old, working brutally long hours for a pittance in wages, began to organize and conducted one of the first labor strikes in American history. One of the mill girls, Harriet Hanson Robinson, years later recalled her experience in a strike in Lowell, Massachusetts. At the time the Lowell cotton mills were started, the factory girl was the lowest among women. In the eyes of her overseer, she was but a brute, slave, there to be beaten, pinched, pushed about. When it was announced that the wages were to be cut down, great indignation was felt, and it was decided to strike. This was done. The mills were shut down. The girls went in procession from their several corporations to the Grove on Capitol Hill. One of the girls stood on a pump and gave vent to the feelings of her companions, declaring that it was their duty to resist all attempts at cutting down the wages. This was the first time a woman had spoken in public in Lowell. The event caused surprise and consternation among her audience. My own recollection of this first strike is very vivid. I worked in a, in a lower room where I heard the proposed strike fully, if not vehemently, discussed. I had been an ardent listener to what was said against this attempt at oppression on the part of the corporation, and naturally, I took sides with the strikers. When the day came on which the girls were to turn out, 
those in the upper room started first, and so many of them left that our mill was at once shut down. Then, when the girls in my room stood, irresolute, uncertain what to do, asking each other, would you? Or shall we turn out? And not one of them having the courage to lead off. I, who began to think they would not go out after all their talk, became impatient. I started on ahead, saying with childish bravado, I don't care what you do, I am going to turn out, whether anyone else does or does not. And I marched out, and I was followed by the others. As I look back on that long line that followed me, I was more proud than I have ever been at any success that I might have achieved. In more recent times, that was a Marisa Tomei reading uh, about the women's movement, both the suffragette movement and the uh, women's labor movement, the women organizing the uh, sweatshops in New York City, which at that time were, were peopled by mostly uh, young women, young immigrant women. <coughs> A lot from Eastern Europe and uh, other places. Okay, let's get on with some labor history now. Have to notice what uh, this section on Susan B. Anthony. Susan B. Anthony said, "Not one dollar will I ever pay." for this unjust fine. I will never pay it. Later on in her speech, she said, not one penny, not one penny will I ever pay. And she didn't. She went to jail and then uh, was released, perhaps bailed out. I don't know. I'm not sure what happened. Mr. Trump is going to pardon her, though. Everything is okay. Okay, uh, labor history in two minutes. What happened in labor history on this date? Breaking the glass ceiling. Got a speech by a... Emma Goldman, uh, the White Lion Docks in Jamestown, 1679. Let's start with them. August 20th.
people arrived in North America. It was an English warship called the White Lion that came to Johnstown in the colony of Virginia. The ship was a privateer and had captured 20-odd enslaved people from a Portuguese ship in a raid. Virginian planters were interested in forced labor to work the tobacco fields in the colony. The laws surrounding slavery in Virginia evolved over time. Throughout the 1600s, statutes replacing indentured servants to race-based slavery for life were written into the law books. In 1654, John Kayser became the first person enslaved under the rule of law in North America. By 1662, a law was passed that children would be considered enslaved or free based on the status of their mother in Virginia. This meant that slavery could pass down from generation to generation. This and and similar laws ensured slavery would grow. Historians estimate that 388,000 enslaved people came to what became the United States from Africa. Due to laws passing down slavery to children, by the Civil War, there were nearly 4 million enslaved people in the South. By the early 1800s, enslaved people made up about one-third of the Southern population. Initially, enslaved labor worked predominantly to produce crops like tobacco, indigo, and also rice. Some West Africans had developed valuable skills in rice cultivation that white landowners exploited through slavery. With the invention of the cotton gin in 1793, cotton became increasingly important to the Southern economy. The South's dependence on slave labor became more entrenched and spread westward with the growing United States until the Civil War ended the brutality of slavery. August 19th. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1997. That was the day that a strike by the Teamsters Union against UPS ended with a victory for the union. The strike had started 15 days earlier. More than 180,000 UPS workers participated in the action. It was the first nationwide strike by UPS workers. At the time, UPS delivered 80% of all packages in the United States. The company, known for its signature brown trucks, delivered 12 million packages a day. The key issue of the strike was that the company increasingly relied on part-time workers. The insecurities of part-time work were growing not just at UPS, but for workers in industries all across the country. The strike settlement came with the union winning its core issues. The company agreed to convert 10,000 part-time jobs to full-time positions over the course of the next five years. The victory was significant for the U.S. labor movement. The 1980s and 1990s saw new attacks on labor unions and working people, starting with President Ronald Reagan's breaking of the air traffic controller union strike in 1981. The UPS victory in a national strike with broad rank-and-file support encouraged working people beyond the Teamsters Union. Announcing the settlement of the strike, ABC News anchor Peter Jennings declared, quote, it's been the most dramatic confrontation between industry and organized labor in 
in two decades. Teamsters president Ron Carey said, quote, it's what this country needs. Decent jobs, a chance for the dream, a chance to purchase a home, a chance to bring your children up properly, a chance to send them to college. Enough is enough. And it's about time that people start fighting back on this. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. April 18th, 2000. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1949. That was the day that is remembered as Kemi Bloody Thursday in Finland. Two strikers were killed. Kemi is a lumber town in northern Finland. The lumber workers in the area went out on strike when the government proposed slashing their wages by more than 30%. The strike was soon joined by sawmill and dock workers. The walkout caused a massive log jam on the Kemi Jockey River. On the fateful day, 3,000 strikers engaged in a peaceful march. They encountered armed police and a confrontation ensued. Police had guns on their side. The workers only had sticks and stones. One striker was shot and killed. Another was hit by a truck. Finnish army troops were called into Kemi. 32 strike leaders were arrested. In response to the violence, sympathy strikes were called by other unions, including the Siemens Union. These strikes were seen by many as a fight between the Finnish elected government and communists in the nation's trade unions. Officials in the United States worried the strikes were an attempt by the communists to open the door to intervention in Finland by the Soviet Union. After World War II, Cold War politics shaped responses to labor struggles in many nations. A song, Fly Black-Winged Bird, remembers the fallen workers. The lyrics, translated into English, began, Fly Black-Winged Bird with blood on your feathers across the lands. From village to village, carry your message. Open up autumn sky for the sad news to spread. Shame on a country where an unarmed man gets shot. Shame on the one who calls the shots. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Okay, Labor History, we're celebrating the anniversary of the first ship to bring Africans to what was called the New World, to the Americas. Uh, big deal from that one little voyage. Uh, huge tree grew. Let's see what we got on uh, labor notes. Postmaster delay. Now this is an obvious attempt to curtail the mail service ahead of the, the election of 2020 in November. So instead of uh, he's done everything he can, President Trump has done everything he can to tell workers, tell voters not to use, uh, not to use vote by mail. He even has threatened to go to court in a couple of states to prevent them. Of course, at the same time, he votes by mail. The quote-unquote postmaster general votes by mail. And uh, Florida has what is called a very efficient voting 
system, vote-by-mail system. That's one of Mr. Trump's states. Mr. Trump thinks he's only president of a few of the states, the ones that vote for him. So lately what DeLay has been doing, of course, has been taking away voting, uh, taking away mailboxes, processing machines, and everything to slow the mail down. So your vote delayed is your vote denied. In Milwaukee, however, the letter carriers refuse to go along with the rail delays and figured out ways to keep the mail moving uh, at, at this time under even all this pressure. 46 states and D.C. have been warned that USPS might not be able to deliver their ballots on time. Yesterday, the new postal postmaster general lied and said that that was kind of a normal thing to say that. They say that at every election. Under the new system, we were informed that our office time would be limited to 30 minutes. And there would be no afternoon office time while in overtime over status. Joy's order, we were all given all the time that was needed until this order to prepare our routes. For most carriers at my station, it took an hour and a half. So he's giving them, cutting their time down by two-thirds. core group of union-proud carriers decided it was necessary to call meeting for union members right outside the gates of our post office. Look on the Labor Notes website. Brooklyn Teamsters, UPS's Brooklyn UPS hub July 20th to protest management's harassment of a black shop steward and efforts to divide the workforce along racial lines. This local 804's mark, way to mark the global strike for black lives. And a Goodyear tire also has taken a lot of heat from the president because they have a... Uh, sensitivity training that was kind of hacked and talked about using respectful language to refer to members of other races. How to keep peace on the floor. Okay. <laughs> okay, we'll be getting a call now from our campus correspondents. Let's not. Calls coming in. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello. Is 
that Vita in Yemen? Yeah. Yep, that's <laughs> Welcome, you guys. Nice to hear from you. You too. How's it going, though? Um, it's okay. We're doing okay. Um, what's it like up where you are? What's the weather like and the air? Well, lately, I mean, as of last night and this morning, it's been going pretty good. It's been pretty good. But the last few days, it was really bad, and we hardly went outside, and we just uh, stayed inside, basically. Is Highway 80 blocked? Is it open? Highway 80, um, I can't tell you as of right now, but I will tell you uh, as of a few days ago, what happened was I heard, I overheard people talking that, you know, the, they were in Vacaville and the, the the fire was two miles from their house. And yeah, Vacaville. Like chaos over overhead. It was like, they were saying like, it was like Armageddon and that kind of stuff. And, wow. and, and Vacaville is not too far from here, but we definitely experienced, experienced something unprecedented in the skies and we took pictures it was just raining ash first of all and yeah. then um and and we've been through the napa the napa fires you know yeah and this was like three or four times like it was much worse you know yeah. and, and 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 wherever the eye could see in front of you it was like gray smoke and behind you was blue yeah the sun was blacked out wow. or like not blacked out but just That's yeah, all we need, huh? Another problem like that. Yeah, crazy. You know, you went the first day. You went outside. I think Vita was checking the air quality index. It's a, it's a metric I'm not. I wasn't familiar with, but it shows on her iPhone, and it showed like first it showed like 99, then it showed 199. Wow. And it was like you went outside and you got nauseous if you didn't wear your mask for Jesus. a brief period there. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, I, I want to appreciate your calling up. These, these are our campus correspondents, Yaman and Vita, calling from UC Davis. And I wanted to hear what you guys have to say about the post office and um, the president's moves against the post office. Well, I think, again, you know, it's, it's, as, as far as – it goes with the laborers, the workers. I think it's, you know, it's tragic um, what he's trying to do. We haven't been keeping, you know, posted with the day-to-day -day news as far as the post office goes. Yeah. Summer session. Um, but we know, we've known, and, you know, we've always been behind, like, the little details as far as what Trump's uh, master plan will be. Mm -hmm. And it's always, it's about sabotaging the election. He's going to steal the election. The Manafort report said it. Unfortunately, USPS is collateral damage, you know. Yeah. It's not a coincidence that all of a sudden something that's part of the, uh, the backbone of this nation is being sabotaged a few months out. This is, this is not a coincidence. And I feel bad for the people, like all the workers that are you know, committed to the job that have been there for decades and decades, you know, all the, you know, the clips from, uh, from Cheers and all. And, yeah. and, and all, you know, all the people that dedicated their lives for USPS and for us, it's pretty tragic that they're just uh, someone on Fifth Avenue getting uh, getting shot, um, according to Trump. You know, uh -huh. it's, it's, that's that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think the same. I mean, for a while, I felt like he's going to do that. He's going to try and 
just find ways to make sure that he wins in 2020. But yeah, I mean, also the the pandemic too. You know, I'm not saying it's necessarily malicious, really? but it's really interesting planning and the fact that like from the beginning they didn't take certain precautions, like they let it go way bigger than it needed to be, and you know, like pretty interesting timing. <laughs> Interesting times is right. Um, yeah. You're going in and out. Oh, that's weird. Hello? Yeah. Hi. I can hear you perfectly. Okay. Your your um, voice is going in and out. That's weird. I don't know what to do. Sorry. That's okay. These, these, these no problem. So, did you find a scanner yet? <laughs> Yeah, for anybody looking for a scanner uh, under eighty dollars, I think it was the Epson V thirty nine on Amazon. It'll let you. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, they should be paying us for this, uh, this this marketing, but it'll let you scan all your uh, your photos and, and digitize them and put them on your computer. So. Okay. Yeah, we'll we send you the link. Okay. Anyway, yeah. you're going in and out, so uh, I'm gonna all hang right. up. But I want to appreciate your calling. And uh, hopefully things, those fires will be uh, contained very yeah. soon. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. So Bye, Vita. Bye, Yim. Take care. Right. Have a good show. So that was, uh, that was Vita and Yemen students at UC Davis calling up. They're our campus correspondents, and every week we throw them a question about current events that are going on and uh, looks like this week we didn't get a campus uh, capital correspondent Earl Coleman we'll have to see what's up with Earl I'd like to get his take on this 600,000 people work at the post office nationwide 600,000 can you imagine if those people got together and in some way organized be a big deal let's uh what to do what to do what to do da da do da da do
Okay, that was uh, the Moton Swing. Benji Moton and his Kansas City Orchestra. Before that, we had a couple by the Duke, Edward Kennedy Ellington. Echoes of Harlem. And to start out, it don't mean a thing. Two live show. Now, when they say one for all and all for one, this is exactly what they mean right here. Everybody need to take notes on this and just know that it looks so much better when you're sticking together. Amigos, get about this motherfucker. Y'all got him fucked up. Look at him. They sent a couple of them home. They all packed their shit up and shut this motherfucker down. Nigga, who y'all think y'all playing with? Mexico, man, this is what black people need to be on, man. I swear to God, I love this shit. They are packing, they sit up and shutting this motherfucker, huh? Uh, on my mama, all that shit. <laughs> they are not bullshitting. They packed up, yeah, I see, it's over. Them motherfuckers now packed up and dipped. They thought they was gonna play with these amigos, and they said, oh yeah, we rise together, homie. And they leaving, and they not bullshitting. Take this in, man, look at this, man. They shut this big motherfucker down today, man. We all going home, man. The SAs, look, ain't no grinding, cutting, welding. This motherfucker dead ass quiet. The Mexicans shut this motherfucker down, nigga. Said, fuck you, bitch. And really, and really, see, this is what I'm talking about, baby. I swear to God, they got me geeked up on my Malcolm X shit, on my mama, nigga. Fuck the bullshit, nigga. Look at this. They shut this bitch down. They pissed them off, nigga. They said, fuck you, we out. We not working no more today. Kiss my ass, nigga. I'll let y'all tomorrow on my mama. That's great. Look, ain't nobody here. We're just cleaning up. We're going home. It's over, bro. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of yours. This is Lee, leaving you off. Stay tuned for Flat Black Plastic with Scott Walker. I'll see you or you'll hear me next week.
recommend the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I'd bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Anti-Trump is the antivirus or antibody to the Trump virus. We're a global alliance of humans standing up against the Trump brand. Antitrump.com started four years ago on March 19, 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better world. Nobody thought it was going to be this bad. Most of us probably figured it would just be four more years of the same old... He was a 70-year-old babbling Nimrod. How bad could it really be? Treason is the last of his felonious activities. The Trump brand has hijacked our government and sold Lady Liberty to the mob. We are a leaderless and without the most basic health care systems and community services. COVID-19 is a pandemic, but the Trump brand is the virus. Welcome to the antivirus. Go. Antitrump.com and spread the word. Individual politics aren't important. What is important is that we stand together as a unified voice and say enough is enough. That's Antitrump.com. Welcome to Strictly Bad Vibes, your personal complaint department. Ah. What, what the hell are we talking about? Um, whiny people and their stupid complaints that we requested they send us. Why do we do this? Why, why are we <laughs> None of which matters in this equation because it is his choice to carry such horse shit on the fucking train. And he was yelling. He was like, move that bitch, move that bitch. And, uh... And, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't. I'm just not. I'm not moving it, you know? I've arrived. Why should I move? I don't like what work has been giving us at our free lunches. 115-340-1976, and it does not spell anything. 115-340-1976. Go for it. Call in, guys.
anchor.fm. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Shop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for near five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Thank you. 
Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of... <laughs> you uh, with Michael. Michael.